Well, it's great to be with you yet again, and uh, I consider it an ultimate privilege to be able to uh, pass along what the Spirit of God has uh, given to me and uh, pass it on to you and see what kind of fruit he can bear out of it. So this is what we're doing today as we kind of finish up this book and we'll start into some narrative literature, I believe in the Old Testament, in the weeks to come. Uh, You know, it's interesting in the past times, particularly in middle America, most people uh, live their entire lives in the same place, making the same friends, uh, having the same job, going to the same church whatsoever, and uh, they just had a measure of huge stability. But in our day, particularly on the coast of uh, the United States, both the East Coast and the West Coast, uh, we don't have that kind of stability. Uh, we we uh, had changed our jobs. We change our locations. We're always on the move. And some kind, sometimes we even change spouses, which is unfortunate. But we do so with absurd regularity. So one of the things of which we can be sure is there are a few things of which we can be sure Now, aircraft, and I'm talking about turbulence and stability today, but aircraft, um, they have fins on the back of the the aircraft that uh, serve as stabilizers to counteract uh, the turbulence that they encounter. You know, the vertical fin in the back uh, keeps the plane from weaving from one side to the other. The horizontal fin in the back uh, keeps the plane from bobbing up and down. And the more turbulent the environment, of course, the stronger the stabilizers need to be. Uh, But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes the elements will definitely rule. Just a little story from my background. A number of years ago, my son Colin uh, and I, and Colin is the husband of Jennifer, and she's the one that was part of Jingle Mingle, so to speak, for those of you who actually went to that. But... um, Anyway, Colin and I were on our way to, uh, to South Asia on a mission trip, and we had a, uh, a plane change in Amsterdam. And it was in the night when the plane landed, but as the plane was uh, coming toward the runway, there was so much turbulence and wind and rain that was blowing at the time that the pilot got within probably three or 400 yards of landing when he totally aborted Uh, the landing, and went off like this, you know, just uh, took off again. And uh, the sickness bags were beginning to come out during that time, and you can hear it in various parts of the airplane. And so about five or ten minutes later, I don't remember how long it took, but they circled back around and uh, tried to land a second time. And they would get within three or four hundred yards, and he aborted again the second time and went off like this. And uh, at that point in time, the sickness bags were really coming out. And I mean, there was hurling all over the airplane. And uh, it was, uh, it sounded like a cheap concert or symphony, I tell you that. Um, But anyway, and I looked at Colin after the second time and I said, you know, I'm not sure I have one of these left in me. And he says, me neither. And fortunately, the third time was the charm and we were able to uh, make a safe landing in the midst of the elements, and uh, when I deboarded the aircraft, I had a new uh, love and appreciation for stability. 
Now, what I want to do is transfer this to the human realm, because when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, he was in jail in Rome, and his life was full of incredible uh, turbulence. Now, Paul wrote this letter to Philippi when he was in Rome, when he was in Rome. And uh, he had been a falsely accused in one occasion of uh, disturbing the peace when in reality he was having a conversation about the effects of going from Judaism to Christianity and so forth. And uh, he was uh, arrested because uh, the, the, the hard-lined Jews didn't like that kind of a message. And he went from Philippi to Jerusalem to Caesarea and then to Rome. And he spent time in three different prisons during that time, and he was in Rome when he wrote this particular letter. And yet you look at all of that turbulence in his life, and yet he was a, mar- a remarkable rock of stability. Uh, he, uh, he never wavered from his calling. And uh, what Paul wants to share with us today, or what Paul has to share with us today, is extremely applicable. Uh, Because I believe that there's never been a time when our culture uh, was in need of effective internal stabilizers where where that has been greater. And this is where Paul happens to be going today. Now I want to begin by looking at a general principle. I've given you these things in your bulletin outline. Uh, General principle for finding stability. And uh, let me read a few verses that Jerry read a few minutes ago. So you have a sense of the whole, and now I want to take it apart a little bit. But it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of his power. Now, here's the principle that I want to put before you. When dealing with turbulence in your life, let big truth into little places. Uh, Take God's eternal plan, the scope of what God wants to do in our land, and superimpose it, superimpose it over your current heartache, whatever it happens to be. In other words, let cosmic truth mitigate your earthly circumstances. Now, Paul's counsel was somewhat antithetical to most modern seminars today. Uh, Seminars have a way of skipping over the major principle, over the umbrella effect, and going straight to method without ever seeing the big picture of life itself. The idea that God might have a plan for our well-being in the midst of heartache is totally irrelevant. And modern books on stress do pretty much the same thing. They jump right into method. Hey, let's look at your schedule. Are you working too hard? Do you have enough balance in your life? Is your diet good? Are you familiar with the new relaxation techniques? You see, books never start with the big picture, but the Bible does. Now look at verse 4. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord. Now you're able to stand firm in the Lord during turbulent times when you remember that your citizenship is truly in heaven. 
Our time here on earth is but a whistle stop in comparison with that. And your tamper-proof future as a child of God in glory will keep you balanced during present adversity. In other words, we'll be able to take all of the troubles that happen to us, all of the things that aggravate us, and just simply see them in light of eternity and say, you know, God's in the process of conforming me to what he wants me to be, and I'm going to go ahead and and take this thing. I'm going to uh, take it and, and, and learn from it and grow by it. Your tamper-proof future will enable you to keep your balance during present adversity. And that's why the Apostle Paul broaches the expedient issue, or does not broach the expedient issue of Yodia and Syntyche. Some people call them odious and soon touchy. But nevertheless, odious and Syntyche, he puts it in perspective by giving them some cosmic truth. You see a quarrel between two godly women uh, in a church is never unimportant. It's always important. But when these intense issues uh, are seen in the light of eternity, uh, they become less intense and we become a little bit more objective. Now certainly there are spiritual steps for creating reconciliation. And Paul exhorts the leaders of the church at Philippi uh, to do what they have to do to bring these two godly women who are at odds with one another for some particular reason, but bring these two women together. And so what Paul does, he begins by saying, sisters, remember your citizenship. See your issue with one another in light of the big picture. You'll be able to objectify it more easily, and you won't form alliances of adversity. And when alliances form, uh, adverse alliances form within the church of Jesus Christ, uh, that's when we've really, really got a problem. In other words, what, what Paul is saying here, let the radiation of future glory shrink this present relational tumor that's going on in the church. And so the general principle is simply this, to superimpose the bigger truth of eternity with Jesus Christ over the smaller hurts and heartaches that we have here on earth. It allows us to put them in perspective and maintain that heavenly perspective, even in the midst of earthly turbulence. Now, with that as an umbrella, what I'd like to do is just look at the two very specific applications today that Paul exhorts the the church at Philippi to engage in. And the first one is where to practice the discipline of praise. And this is where we see our circumstances through the lens of God's eternal plan for you and for me. Uh, Now, I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 1, as Paul talks uh, to the Philippian church. But I want us to pretend for just a moment that he's talking to us here at Harvest. And Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I urge Iodia and I urge Syntyche, 
to live in harmony in the Lord. I ask that you help these two women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Now, here comes the praise that Paul exhorts. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all. The Lord is near. Now, the Greek word that the Bible translates gentle spirit literally means evenness of temper. Now, John Newton was a slave trader way back uh, a couple hundred years ago. And he would pick up slaves in, in Africa and bring them over to America. And uh, he was a, a wicked man in, in all respects. Uh, but he was miraculously converted. He became a great hymn writer. He wrote that famous hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. Uh, but he made an interesting statement, and it's a very memorable one. Just listen as I read it. You don't have holy moderation until the grace of God makes your worst times bearable and your best times leavable. You don't have holy moderation until the grace of God makes your worst times bearable and your best times leavable. You know, on the, uh, on the negative side, we need to be big enough to endure injustice. We need to be big enough to endure mistreatment without hatred, without retaliation, without malice. In other words, we just take it. We internalize it, and we let the Spirit of God begin to break it up with that holy sledgehammer like bricks on a sidewalk. Now, on the positive side, he says, enjoy the good times without clinging to them, knowing that they could be gone tomorrow. In other words, during times of adversity, your heart says, look up. It might be horrific. It might create a great deal of sadness, but it's not the main thing. And during prosperity, your heart says, settle down. It might be terrific. It might create a tremendous amount of joy, but it's still not the main thing. What's the main thing? And the beginning of verse 4, he says, rejoice. At the end of verse 3, he says that your name is written in the book of life. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that when adversity hits, rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. And Jesus affirms them in Luke chapter 10. You see, his disciples had been out somewhere uh, engaging in ministry, somewhere in the land of Israel. Jesus was not with them, but they were all there and they were performing ministry And they get back, and Jesus sits them down and says, you know, how did it go? How did it work out? What happened uh, in your your street preaching? What happened when you were talking to individuals about who the Messiah of Israel really is? And they says, man, it was really, really great. We cast out spirits, evil spirits, Jesus. Even the demons were subject to us. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Rejoice not so much that the demons are subject to you, but that your names 
are written in the book of life. I'm glad you were able to cast out demons today. But tomorrow you may find a demon that you cannot cast out, and that's exactly what happened. And so what Paul wants us to do in the midst of whatever turbulence we encounter in life is simply to practice the discipline of praise. Look up, praise the Lord, and it has a way of just shrinking the urgency of the hurt and the pain that you feel. It just puts it in more perspective. Praise is just about the greatest thing that we can do as a church to maintain stability in the midst of turbulence. Now, the second uh, discipline is we're to practice the discipline of prayer. So we praise the Lord and we also pray to the Lord. Now, when we pray, we have a way, uh, and it just, we, we pray to an omnipotent, holy God that loves us with an, a love that we can't even begin to calculate. It's totally infinite to our tiny little minds. But nevertheless, we get anxious. And so Paul says, hey, what we need to do is we need to pray uh, so that we see our circumstances through God's wisdom. Verse 6, chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, Paul doesn't say just pray. He says pray with thanksgiving. Take the issues that worry you and petition those issues to the Father but then lace those requests that you make of the Father with thankfulness for what God is doing and for what God will continue to do in your life through your experience. And the question naturally crops up, well, how in the world can I be thankful to God when I really don't know how he's going to deal with and answer the prayer that I just hoisted up to him? How do I do that? Well, the Apostle Paul implicitly but he would say, thank him ahead of time as you pray to him, as you praise him. Thank him ahead of time for the entire range of possible responses he can have to your prayer. Uh, let me illustrate a little bit here. You know, Suzanne and I have a, a granddaughter who's seven years old. Her name is Audrey, and she's a beautiful young gal. That's her. And uh, when she was one year old, uh, she contracted a rare strain of leukemia. And she literally lived uh, for the better part of two years at uh, Chalk Hospital. And, uh, you know, we, there was an extra bed for mom or grandma to sleep in to make sure she was never alone. But she lived there for a long, long period of time. And she was given um, about a 20% chance of making it. And certainly her parents, her grandparents, any of us would have been willing to fall on the sword if uh, the Lord would spare her. But of course, that was not an option. But the real step of faith, uh, really, with respect to our belief in a wonderfully benevolent God that we were praying to was simply this. Can we envision all the possible directions things could go 
and thank God for all of them, regardless of what happens. Can we just be thankful believers in Jesus Christ, even in the midst of the worst adversity uh, that we can possibly counter, even though thousands of people were praying for her? That was the thing. Now, in Audrey's case, uh, God healed her. And uh, that was nothing short of a class A miracle. And he answered our prayers in the affirmative. He could have gone the other direction because there were children in shock that didn't make it. And their parents were grieving. Our child happened to make it. And we give great thanks to God for that. You know, one of the things that... uh, about God is he never designed the world to be as messy as it really is. You know, suffering and disease and uh, sin itself just invaded our planet. And uh, because of that, it's, uh, a, we're, we're incredibly dysfunctional, even as mature believers. We do crazy, crazy things. Uh, but God hasn't withdrawn from the world, and he has a plan. And everything that uh, comes into your life, God is capable of working together for good. And we thank God for that. We are the children. God is the Father. And we don't see the big picture, but God does. And therefore, that's why we trust him. Now, when it comes to knowing what we need to know, And growing into the likeness of our our Lord Jesus Christ, we're like two-year-old kids. Uh, Just imagine a two-year-old toddler, and that's kind of what we are in the eyes of God. And kids don't understand why they can't eat whatever they find in a sandbox. They don't understand why their friends have to move away. Kids don't see the big picture. And as spiritual children, we don't see the big picture either. Uh, We're so focused in the moment, we can pray about the big picture. We can realize there is a big picture, but we don't see it. We have to trust our Heavenly Father, who not only sees it, but decreed it, ordained it, and it was unchangeable of what was going to happen. That's the kind of God that we have. Uh, Mature prayer happens when we see the world through the truth of God's wisdom. You know, when Jesus hung on the cross, uh, all of the disciples just split. And they probably said to themselves, what good could possibly come out of this? And yet at that moment, they were looking at the greatest act of wisdom and love in all the history of the world. See, a mature Christian will say, God, I have no idea why you're letting this happen to me, but I'm not going to run away. I won't understand everything, therefore I will gaze at the cross, and I'll thank you ahead of time for what you're going to do in my life and the life of my family and maybe even the life of my church. You've got to see the big picture, and he does. Now, the promise comes in verse 7. It says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the peace of God is the inward awareness 
that comes when we turn our cares over to an all-powerful, loving creator, a heavenly father. You know, in John 11, you have that interesting story that I've referred to on a number of occasions at Harvest of uh, uh, Lazarus, who uh, lived with his two sisters, older sisters, Mary and Martha, in the little place of Bethany. And Lazarus became ill. And uh, the two sisters got word to Jesus somehow. He was somewhere in the area, but they got word to Jesus. And the, the message they sent to the Lord was, the one whom you love is sick, deathly sick. And the rest of the story, he ended up dying and God lifted him out of the grave and so forth. But the thing that I want you to think about for a moment is that they said to the Lord, the one that you love is sick. Uh, the one that you love is hurting. Uh, have you ever, ever thought about it? And I had to ask myself this question earlier this week. Have you ever thought about using words like this in your prayers to your Heavenly Father? Father, the one whom you love. Uh, Father, the one who you've adopted into your family. Uh, Father, the one whose uh, scarred hands uh, That uh, the, the one, I should say, the one who's inscribed and chiseled the, the na our names on his hand, the one that you, you've created, Father, the one that you love, uh, needs help, needs you. And uh, some can't find comfort in pain because they don't have the spiritual backbone and the poise that grace provides. You see, I can either pray to God as my business partner based on my half-kept promises to him, or I can pray to God as my heavenly father based upon, on the basis, I should say, of his fully-kept promises to me. You know, those of you who are parents, and we have a lot of parents in here, we have a lot of people in promised land and a lot of kids in the park right now. They're part underneath the roof of this building. But uh, when your son or daughter has a need and they've been hurt and uh, perhaps uh, come into your presence in tears, what do they need in order to get your immediate and full attention? Maybe a notarized list of all the good stuff they've done the past month. You know, all that you, when you have a son or a daughter that you deeply love and they are hurting and they come into your present and their eyes are welled up with water and they say, Mom, Dad, I need you right now. You're 100% there. Uh, your heart melts for them. Uh, and yet when you say and when I say to our Heavenly Father, I need you at this particular time, uh, you can take our readiness for our own children and multiply it by a thousand times, and we will not come close, anywhere close to the readiness of our Father when we come into his presence, when we are hurting. 
and some of you are, all kinds of different reasons why you're hurting, why you're feeling pain, why you're discouraged, why at times you feel so doggone despondent. And yet God is always willing to hear you out. And the beautiful thing is he works through that pain and somehow mitigates it. He relieves it. It'll come back. It always does. There's always something there that we're wrestling with. But the great thing is we have a God that never leaves us alone. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And it will, if we do that, create a lot of stability out of a turbulent life. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Our Father, we, uh, we look at a passage like this and we think through the implications of it and how you've worked through people, imperfect people, down through the years. Uh, you've given us examples of people that have too much on their plate and yet how they worked through it and responded in a godly way. Uh, You've uh, showed us individuals in the scriptures that have been discouraged, despondent, lonely, uh, incredible heartache, not uh, able to see a way out, and you've been their comfort. And that's just uh, the nature of our battle in dealing with sin, and it's also your nature in overcoming all of that and assuring us of your deep, deep love. We thank you that you never leave us, you never forsake us, that you're just uh, a moment's uh, notice as we just look up. And Father, we do that several times a day because we need the comfort of your assurance. We need the comfort that you're there. And we need to know that the crazy things that take place in our lives are not going to be the final, the final landing spot, Father. Uh, you use those things to make us like your son. And I pray that we would uh, respond to it. Thank you, God, for the great God that you are. In Christ's name, amen.